Myron for helping me pass out. Here's the problem. Is I thought I passed, I made the same amount of copies. Myron has one copy left over, and I got several. Who didn't get one of mine? What is sin? Who got, who didn't get what is sin? What is sin? That's what I'm talking about. I knew something was wrong. I'm coming, baby girl. Here you go. Now I'm down. To... Anybody else? What is sin? One is sin. Ah, that's right. There we go. Did you get one of the eight, the eight accountability questions? You need that too? Who wants the last one? <laughs> what is sin? Did you get the accountability questions? I got to keep one. So that was good. That was good timing, wasn't it? All right, so I got you two sheets tonight. The, leave the accountability questions to last. We're going to do them if we have time. Otherwise, we'll, I'll talk to you about those as well. So what is sin? Man, this is a, this is a, a, a good subject. Uh, it's not a good subject. It's something that we enjoy. But it's a good subject to understand, to, to study, to reflect on, to talk about. So let's look at some things in sin. Let's get uh, started with our study tonight. Let me take a breath. Y'all ready? How many hours can you put in on one Sunday? Without a nap. All right. Let's work together. What is sin? Sin disrupts everything. All right, I put that on your paper. Sin disrupts everything. Nothing is smooth about sin. Nothing is easy about sin. Sin changes everything that, that is in God's favor, that's in God's eyes, the things that God wants us to do, the way he lives, the way he designed us to live, the way he designed the church, the way he designed the world was perfect. When God's original design was a perfect world, a perfect person, uh, a beautiful paradise, and sin disrupted Every bit of that. It disrupted the whole thing, all right? We don't live our lives as they were originally designed to live. We are currently not living our lives the way God designed us to live. When he, when he created man in his image, when he said, let us make man in our image, it is slightly different than it was now because he didn't create man in the image to have sin. That's not what he created. He created man in his image. Sin entered into man as a result of disobedience, all right? We don't live our lives that we were originally designed to live, and we don't live in a world that was originally designed for us. This is different now. Sin has distorted it. It has distorted every single thing about where we live, who we are, and, and how we live, all right? Sin distorts the image of God that he has inside of us. We no longer reflect the, perfect, the perfection that God created us to be. And that's bad, isn't it? From one standpoint, but God still loves us. He still loves us. He still wants us to be near him. He still wants to have fellowship with us. He still wants to have relationship with us, but we're not in the same image that he created us in the beginning, all right? Because of sin, things simply aren't the way they were originally meant to be. Now, the story of the human race as presented in the Bible is the story of God fixing people. 
God fixing the problem, the story about the human race, the story about the Bible, the story about Jesus coming to this earth, the story about his ministry from birth all the way to the cross and through the resurrection is all about God fixing the problem of sin. All right, that's what this story is about. It's a story about God victory over the many results of sin and the world of sin. So now we bump down to, let's look at some scripture. What, what sin is, and I got you a few scriptures to go along with that. What sin is, sin is any failure that conform to the, mor- that any failure to conform to the moral law that God has in act, attitude, or nature. So anything that opposes God is considered sin. Anything that's in opposes or conforms does not conform to the moral law. God sets forth his moral law in many places throughout the Bible. So when we look in the Old Testament, we see several, several passages in Exodus. One such place is the Ten Commandments, which is found in Exodus 20, 1 through 17. When you look through that passage of Scripture, you'll see God's moral law. If sin is any act contrary to God's moral law, it makes sense that Exodus 20, 13, which is the one you first see, you shall not murder. And that's the first one. So that makes it sin. Exodus 20, 15 says, you shall not steal. All right? But sin is also found in attitudes, okay? Not just actions, but attitudes contrary to God's moral law. That is in Exodus 20, 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Not just actions, but thoughts. Okay, same kind of scenario. Sin is also found in our nature, all right? Our internal character that is the essence of who we are, what, what, what it is about us, how we act, the response that we make, okay? These are all parts of things that, that are exposed. God is eternally good in his character, all that he has conformed perfectly to his moral law. God is perfect. He's, he's conforms to his moral law. Nothing about God is connected to sin. Any sin that's committed in the human body cannot be blamed on God. You can't blame something that, you know, well, that's just the way God made me. You ever heard that before? That's just, that's just the way God made me. He made me like that. He made me think like this. He made me act like this. It's all God's fault, the reason that I do the things that I do, all right? Therefore, anything contrary to his moral law is contrary to his character that is contrary to God himself. Now, here's something that that looks like God hates sin because it directly contradicts everything that he is. And that's a word I don't like to associate with God. I don't like to say God hates sin, all right, because I have a hard time thinking that God hates anything. Now, I know that he does not like sin. I know that, that sin is specifically against what he says. But when I think of God the Father, God of love, God of unconditional love, God of an agape love, how could someone that has unconditional love hate anything? Well, he hates sin, all right, because that's the one thing that he does hate, all right? All right, sin is uh, in our nature. And, and it's not in God's character, right? God hates sin. So let's look at this. Where sin came from. Right, so look at a few little scriptures here. Since sin is in the complete contradiction to God, he cannot sin, and we should never blame him for any sin or think that he bears responsibility for sin. That's what I just shared with you. It is impossible for God to even desire to do wrong. Man, even if he wanted to, he can't do wrong. All right? Look at this. James 1.13. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
And that's something that's very important for you to know. When you're tempted, when there's temptation involved, it is not God that is tempting you. Now, God knows that when you're tempted, then what is it that God does when you're tempted? Anybody, what, what does God provide for us when we're tempted? A way out. Always. That's what the scripture said. God always provides us a way out of temptation. All right? Now, God does, God does help allow trials and, and tribulations in our life, and he does allow temptation that Satan causes, but he never tempts us. But with every temptation, he provides a way for us to get out. All right? All right. Yet the Bible also says that God works all things according to to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. Now, let's keep moving on down. Sin did not surprise God when it came into the world, nor did it overpower him. Why did sin not surprise God? He's omnipotent. He knows all. He knew it was coming. He knew it was going to happen. Even before sin came into the world, God had already planned a way to solve it. Amen? Even before, when he created man, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to have to send Jesus Christ to the, world, to the world to be the sacrifice. All that he knew ahead of time. So none of this caught him off guard. None of this surprised him when it came. It didn't surprise God, nor did it overpower him. That is the most important thing about it. No matter what Satan does, he cannot overpower God. He cannot do anything to you beyond what God allows him to do. All right? All right. It said God decided... Uh, that he would allow moral creatures to choose willfully and voluntarily to sin. And that's one of the toughest scenarios. He gave us choice. He chose to love us. He chose to send his son for us. God made a choice. He allowed us to have a choice. We have a choice. We can choose one way or the other. Let me tell you something. There's only two choices about eternity. And I tell you that every Sunday. Amen. There's only two choices, but we have a choice. And that's what it said willingly and voluntarily to sin. Sin exists in Satan and his demons before disobedience to Adam and Eve. So before, before sin came into mankind, sin was in Satan and the demons. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. All right? They already had sin in them. They already had sin involved in them. But mankind didn't have sin in them until it entered through Eve and Adam. All right? God told Adam, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That's Genesis 2.17. So when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they directly contradicted God's command. They de- directly disobeyed God's command. Now, And I said that this morning. Satan didn't uh, force Eve to eat of the fruit, nor did he force Adam to eat of the fruit. He didn't force either one of them to do it. God didn't force them to do it. They did it on their own. They did it willfully. They directly contradicted God's command, all right? They weren't forced to do it. They did it on their own free will. As a result, Adam's nature became sinful. Sin became something Adam naturally did. Adam's sin also caused us to inherit a sinful nature from from generation to generation, one that is naturally opposed to God and his moral law. So that is why Jeremiah, we look at the prophet Jeremiah, see what he says. The heart is deceitful. Above all things and, and desperately sick, who can understand it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. All right. Although our inherited tendencies to sin does not mean that we are bad as we would could be, it does mean that we, like Adam, after he sinned, are unable on our own to do anything that pleases God. Before uh, God was pleased with Adam and Eve, once sin enters, 
on our own, we can't do anything to please God. Now, the thing about it, it doesn't mean that God's not pleased with you. It doesn't mean that God's not pleased with the things you do. It doesn't mean that he doesn't uh, acknowledge the, the efforts of this church or the efforts of our ministry. Uh, and he's pleased with that. But on our own, we can't do anything to save ourselves from sin. And that's what it's distinctly talking about. Because we needed Jesus Christ, all right? On our own, we can't do anything to please God. Every part of our beings is affected by sins. When you think about it, what part's affected by sin? Just my thoughts, just my actions. As long as I don't act on it, it's really not a bad thing. You know, I think about it, but as long as I don't act on it, it's not so bad. What do you think about that? Huh? He knows what we're thinking, all right? It says every part of our body is affected by sin. Our intellects, our emotions, our desires, our hearts, our goals, our motives, and even our physical bodies. All of it. And you think about it. So you're scrolling the channels on the TV, and you come by a channel, there's a little bit of something that's probably not something that really should be on TV. Where do you go? You keep moving, or do you delay it a little bit? Just thinking, just throwing that out there, you know? Huh? What you laughing at? I mean, you think about it. I'm, I, that's what I do. I scroll the channels, and I end up watching Andy Griffith just about every night. All right? Huh? Gunsmoke, if I could get it. All right? But, but there's nothing on TV that's, that's valid, but there's also all kinds of things that are invalid a lot of times. And I'm not knocking TV. I'm just saying that's what that it is for me. All right? All uh, are subject to decay and destruction from sin. Sin causes decay and destruction. It causes breakdown. It causes wear and tear. All right? Our actions, our attitudes, and our very nature all make us guilty of sin. We received not only uh, sin nature from Adam, but also his sinful uh, guilt, the guilt of sin. We received that as well from him as a human. Now, Paul explains this in Romans 5.12. He says this, Sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin came, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the, the solution to the problem. When you think about it, this is what Scripture says. Sin came into this world through one man, right? We say Adam and Eve, but it came in through man, all right? Mankind. Through one man. Adam is where the sinful nature comes. We don't say we inherited the sinful nature from Eve, do we? Is that what we say? What do we always say? We inherit a sinful nature from who? From Adam. All right? So sin entered the world through one man, Romans 5.12. But look at this, Romans 5.19. And by one man's disobedience, the, the, the many were made sinners. So when you think about it, one man sinned, we all inherited, we were all made sinners because of that. But the solution is even more important than that. We are all guilty of sin and in need of a way to make ourselves right, all right? The good news is that God has designed the world in such a way that our individual failings can be redeemed through the work of another. Well, you think about it. So because of our failures, God designed it in such a way that, that the work of another could redeem us of our sins. Our individual disobedience can be right, made right by the obedience of another. All right? So it's just the opposite. Our individual sin can also be removed by the sinlessness of another. Where am I going with this? Who? Jesus. That's where we're going with this. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and the life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And that's Jesus Christ. The first Adam, the second Adam, amen? And that's what takes place. One, call, one allowed sin in, one makes a, 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 a sacrifice for sin, all right? How sin affects us. Let's look at this. Scripture's clear. 1 Kings eight forty six. How sin affects us. There's no one who does not sin. So we're all guilty of it. All right, Psalm 14.3. There is none who does good, not even one. This is all scripture. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's an exception to the rule. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Therefore, we all stand guilty before God. I mean, we're all guilty of sin before God. That means we all have to have a sacrifice. We all have to have that one perfect sacrifice. We all have to place our trust in Jesus Christ, all right? God said that the penalty for eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was death. That's in Genesis 2.17. Death, Paul tells us, is actually the penalty for the wages of sin. For the wages of sin are death. That's Romans 6.23. But just as God didn't bring the penalty of death immediately on Adam and Eve, man, because uh, they ate of the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, they sinned, and God knew it when they did it. He's walking through the garden, finding out why you're hiding from me, but he knew it, but he didn't. The death did not come on them right then. Same thing with us. He gave them an, an opportunity, all right? He doesn't bring the penalty of death immediately on us. In fact, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God offers us freedom from the condensation of the condemnation of sin that sin brings upon us. Now look at 1 Peter 2.24. Y'all staying up with me? Y'all know I'm picking up Patty tonight, right? Okay, just making sure y'all aware of it. I just got a little ding that said her flight was in the air, so I'm just... No, not yet. Let's, let's hope not. All right. Weather's good. All right. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. First Peter 2, 24. All right. While sin does not affect our status and standing with God, what does it affect? I mean, God loves us unconditionally. He loves us with an agape love. No matter what we do, we can't do anything to make him love us less. We can't do anything to make him love us more. So he loves us conditionally. So sin does not affect our status with God. But what does it affect? Our relationship. relationship. Man, it stalls our relationship. It hinders our relationship. It puts a barrier between our relationship. It does not allow us to grow closer to him. It doesn't allow us to grow closer with him. It doesn't allow him to to be able to give us the blessings that he wants to give us. It hurts our relationship with him. That's that's awesome. All right? All right? All right. Sin can affect our relationship, but sinful words, that's another thing. Sinful words or actions can result in a broken relationship even between Christians. You ever heard of that? Sinful words. You ever heard of sinful words between Christians? Huh? Greg? No? It happens, all right? It just doesn't happen. It can cause a, a broken relationship. Even though all Christians still sin, they should not participate in a long-term pattern of sin. Greater and greater disobedience is what that causes all right, to God's moral law. First <clears throat> John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, here's the thing. is We sin every day. The Bible says, and, and Jesus tells us, take up our cross daily. 
It means turn it over every single day. We want to make sure that, that whatever we deal with, that we deal with on a daily basis. All right? When Christians sin, they should earnestly and quickly confess their sins to God. And what does the Bible say that God does the minute you confess your sins to, you, to him? What does, he, what does he do? He forgives you. As simple as that. God, it says in the Bible, if you confess your sins, he's just, he's faithful to forgive you of your sins. So, so why not take them to him? I mean, I'm ashamed of the sin. I don't want him to know about it. Well, he already knew about it. So there's no hiding it from him. So lay it at the feet. Um, take, it to the, take it to the cross, all right? All right, when we do sin, we should, we should God, he's faithful, he'll forgive us. First John 1, 9, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the best thing ever. All right? Doesn't matter what you do, if you make a mistake, doesn't matter if you're a little bit snippy with your, your, your friend or your mate or whatever it was, you know, you just, you gotta, first you've got to apologize to them, right? That the marriage class taught us to do. Apologize to them and then apologize to the Lord. All right? All right, so here's you some questions, five questions for you to think about, and then we're going to do one other thing. All right? How does sin affect our lives and the world we live in? So think about it. How does sin affect our lives and the world we live in? Anybody? Interaction night. Don't make me call on you now. Just bring it on out. Because you know I'll call you out. Huh? It disrupts us. It does. What is it? Negatively. Negatively. Yeah, the sin of... Ever had a sin affect you positively? It brings you down, doesn't it? All right. How else? Anybody? So is the is the benefits of the sinful world temporary or permanent? Is is the benefits of knowing and having a relationship with Jesus Christ temporary or permanent? So there you go. All right. What else? How does sin affect our lives and the world we live in? It affects our witness. It affects our witness. Absolutely. Would y'all would you say that we're living in a sinful world? Man, it's tough. You, that goes back to a TV thing, right? A news thing or a TV thing. So, yes, sir. All right, number two. Will Christians continue to sin? So what do we do when we sin? Ask for forgiveness, all right? What are some of the negative results of sin in the life of a Christian? What are some of the negative consequences that take place? Terry, you said it was negative. What are some of the negative things that come out of sin? Broken marriages. Broken marriages. Broken fellowship within anybody. Broken fellowship with the Lord. Like Mary said, it damages our witness. Exactly. It does damage our witness. That's some of the negative things that come out. What should Christians do if they sin? We know that. We take them to the feet of Jesus. And then uh, how is sin defeated? Scripture. Scripture. Living the life for the Lord. All right? All right, any questions on sin? S-I-N. All right, I got something I want you to do. And so from time to time, I get a, a bunch of devotionals that I do in the morning. And from time to, I have one that I get from one of my professors. And he sends me a lot of stuff. He sends me things that are, are inspirational. He, he sent me something this morning. Let me tell you, something that uh, you know I deal with every Sunday morning is making sure that that... 
you know, that I'm prepared, that I'm ready, that, that things are going like they're supposed to. And Satan will do anything in the world to try to disrupt me on Sunday morning. I don't know if y'all have ever had that before, but I got this from him this morning about 5 o'clock. It says Psalm 16, 8. It says, I always let the Lord guide me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. And that's for first. It says, let the Lord guide you in all that you do today. Don't let anything shake you for he is with you. That was why I got that at uh, 6 o'clock. He sent it at 5.30, but I got it at 6 o'clock this morning. I'm thinking, that's exactly what I need to hear this morning. I'm not going to be shaken by anything that Satan tries to do to me today. So he sent me these eight accountability questions. I want you to look at these and see if these aren't something that are important. And so I want to share them with you as well. So let's look at these together. Everybody have a copy of the eight accountability questions? These are self-evaluation questions. These aren't for you to share with me or anybody else. These are self-evaluation questions. And I sent these to the deacons this past week. And I don't know if they've read them or not yet, but, but certainly you got a copy of it yet. So let's look at them together. If others imitated my life today, would they be living like Jesus? Man, when you look at your life and I look at my life, if, if, is there anybody out there that you think, man, I, I wish I could live like him? Not to have the success or non-success of a person, but the, do they see Jesus in your walk? Do they see Jesus in your action? Paul knew that he was the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15, but he also walked closely enough with Jesus that he could humbly be confidently say, imitate me and imitate Christ. That's not being prideful. That's not, that's not being boastful. That's just the way he was. He was sold out for Jesus Christ. He was, he was Paul, the apostle Paul was one of the greatest uh, representations for Christ in the New Testament. And he wrote the majority of the New Testament. But you think about it. Imitate me and imitate Christ. Can you say that in your walk, in your daily walk? Imitate me and imitate Christ. And I'm not saying I could say that, but I'm something that certainly we want to be striving to say. All right? Number two, if others walked with me nonstop for the next week, would they ask me to teach them to pray the way I pray? You know, that's what the disciples asked Jesus because they they walked with him every day and they saw how he was praying. They knew how to pray. They'd been taught how to pray from, from, uh, you know, from early age. But if people walked with us for a week, would they say, you know, would they even know that we were praying? Would they even see us pray? You know, would it be just at the supper table or the lunch table or, or would they even see us pray? And if they said, would they want to know how to pray the way that we pray? Surely the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because they had heard him and watched him pray. That's Luke eleven one. They wanted to talk to the Father the way he did. Now let me tell you something. There's no special way or art to praying. It's a humble attitude Pray into the creator of the universe, all right? So, so understand that. You, you speak to him uh, the way you would talk uh, to anybody with the understanding that he is the creator of the universe. So there's a certain amount of humbleness and brokenness before that, all right? Number three, is the word of God precious and sweet to me? That's the way the psalmist describes the word. They are more desirable than gold. They are more abundant than pure gold and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. All right? That's what the Word of God is. It is precious to me. Number four, is God's will more important to me than my will? And boy, we have went over that a time or two, hadn't we? Amen? Which one's more important? God's will. I think you scored 100 on that one. All right? 
All right, number five, do I give thanks for everything? Paul told us to live this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He so believed this truth that he himself could boast about his weaknesses and take pleasure in his persecutions, for he found God's strength in his weaknesses. All right, give him thanks for everything, whether it's good or bad, easy or hard. We thank God for everything, all right? Do I fight my own battles or do I let God be my warrior? Well, let me tell you, if you're trying to fight your own, it's, it could be a little bit more difficult than letting him fight it for you, all right? Did I get amen out of that? Whew, all right. All right, David knew that his battles were, God, uh, were God's battles, not his, when he was, was a shepherd boy in 1 Samuel. All right, look at the difference. But he depended on his own army and strength when he became a king in 1 Chronicles. Are you more like David the shepherd boy or more like David the king? All right, number seven. Am I trying to run from God? Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden, and they were convinced themselves that he couldn't find them there. Genesis 3.8. Jonah fled from God, and he didn't want him. He didn't want to follow God's plan for into Nineveh. Jonah one one through three. Are you doing the same thing? So are you running from God, or are you following God's will for your life? And last one. Who knows Jesus today? Because I've talked about him this past week. Jesus freed a man possessed of a legion of demons, and he told him the the redeemed man to go tell his friends of what that he had done. The result, everyone marveled at Jesus, all right? Who's marveling today because of your story? So who's marveling because you told people about Jesus, all right? Is that good? All righty. All right, round six. Let me get my book out of here. With this, Brother Wesley, would you open us up in prayer and open our... Uh, business meeting.